Well, um, thank you, Joseph. Thank you for doing innovative, creative things uh, as we worship together. Thank you for the opportunity to, to bring witness and to pray for one another. Um, we are in a sermon series in... Uh, in uh, <laughs> Yeah, is there, have you ever, when I was a kid, I was like, I was, I was like dumbfounded that my parents didn't remember my name sometimes. <laughs> now I do it myself. Um, sometimes can't remember people's names or, or, uh, or, th- or books we spent a lot of time in, or call it something else. Well, was that that? Good start. Uh, we'll be in Zechariah uh, twelve nine, and then uh, through thirteen one. I called this one the one pierced. And um, before we get that far, let's just—I'll uh, try to make these not as long. Um, but just if you are, can't remember uh, where we are, um, we are in Zechariah, and he. Is about five hundred years before uh, before Jesus comes. Uh, about these five years, is he prophesying to the returned exiles? God's people had rebelled against him, and God said when they entered, when they were going towards the promised land, that they could choose a blessing and a curse. But the curse will be if they choose that they will be spit out of the land, like God has had. Um, uh, was going to remove the people of the land. They would also be that. Unfortunately, that's what God's people did. And they had been taken out. First, the northern kingdom was taken to Assyria, and then the southern kingdom was taken to Babylon. Now, time has passed. About 70 years has passed. And then God is uh, drawing people back through King Cyrus. He's saying, you can go back, and you can build the temple for the king, uh, for the god of the uh, heaven and earth and you can do that in back in jerusalem you can go back to your land um issue is that other people live there and uh, this two generations has passed some people have no idea where this land is and nobody has been there they uh, maybe they are called by the other prophets to prosper in the exile uh, they have businesses they might be all that they know um, so there's a call to come back. There's not, there's not only a call to come back to the land, but it's also one of the first things in Zechariah is a call to return to God. And then God promises to return to his people. So Zechariah comes and encourages the people. There's been a prophet with him and just before him called Haggai, who also tried to encourage them a little more uh, different, but uh, encouraging the people to uh, rebuild First to rebuild, they rebuild the altar, and then they start to rebuild the temple, but they are, they, that stops because they're oppressed by the people around them. Remember, God had promised them this great big land, and now they have a very small place, and there's other people there, and it's a city that's um, uh, largely in, not, ha- not inhabited, and ma- many things are in ruins. So it's not like maybe the greatest place people would want to come to live. But Zechariah is trying to re, uh, rebrand that and say, no, this is going to be a great place. 
It's going to be a place where God's going to come and dwell. He's going to make you a strong people. And that's what we left off with last time. What was that last time was that God's one is going to, God was going to protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they will become strong, the weakest like David. And the house of David will become like the angel of the Lord. And God will destroy all the nations that would come against Jerusalem. And so it's a, an invitation to come, come and resettle here, build the temple, rebuild the city because God will have favor on it. And so that's, and I even promised that God will defeat all the enemies and he will, uh, he will make them strong. Um, so God will restore them uh, militarily, success, and make them strong. So today we're going to have, I wrote down, I have, <coughs> for the people who are more structured than me, that I, I do have three points. You, maybe you can see if you can find where I have three points when I'm done speaking. But um, God will act by his spirit. That will create, that was point one. Point two, that will create mourning. Not like mourning, but like sorrow. Not like the sun comes up, but sorrow. And three, um, God will provide a fountain for cleansing. So that's like the three points. I'll try to, it's kind of built on that skeleton. But we shall read before we go further than that. Uh, so you can see that's how small now they have uh, the green area. That's how small the area is now compared to the great land that they had at some points. Uh, I'll skip this one. If you have questions about these, we just come and ask me afterwards. All right, let's let's read together. <coughs> and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over his firstborn. On that day, the, mount, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning of Hadagrimmon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemanites by themselves, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. Oh, sorry. And on that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. All right. So, so we reach this place where this, what would seem to be a mind-boggling, amazing passage comes out. 
where God says, I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and of pleas of, pleas of mercy. So God will do something as he's been promising to do through Zechariah, through the whole thing. He called them back to repentance. He called them back to land, called them back to them. And again, God says, I will act, I will act not by power, not by spite, not by might, but by my spirit. So God says, I will do something. I will pour out on the people in Jerusalem grace and pleas for mercy. Oh, that sounds like great, great. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, we have been persecuted by these people. We have been, you know, all those things. And you promised us to keep us safe. But now your spirit is going to give us unmerited favor. Uh, you're going to give us your mercy where we have failed. So we maybe should have gotten something else. And... The thing is that this grace, this grace and mercy will will turn into mourning. Mourning so great as it would be like mourning and weeping bitterly over uh, losing one's firstborn son. And why this mourning? Why is this sorrowing? And how is this grace and mercy? Well, we look again at the same passage and look and say, what is it that the Spirit does? The Spirit of grace and mercy, what does that do? That Spirit of grace and mercy will make them see something quite amazing. He says, when they look on me, on him who they have pierced. So God speaking through Zechariah would say, they will look on me. They will look on one, on him who they pierced. So the spirit of mercy and grace would make them able to see that they ha see God and see him whom they have pierced. This raises all sorts of questions. How on earth did they pierce God? And who is him? And why is it him and not me? I like how Joseph started about explaining about Jesus. Explaining the unity of Jesus and now this passage shows a lot about who God is. We see that God by his spirit makes people able to see who he is and who him is and what they have done. So when I look at this passage, I see that we can see that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and in these few 
with one line, we see how our Trinitarian God works together. The Spirit's working to open up the eyes that the people might see. What are they supposed to see? Well, they're supposed to see the one they have pierced. They are supposed to be able to have their eyes open to see how God actually worked in his counsel, in his unbroken fellowship of worship and adoration for one another, three in one, came up with the amazing plan of how to redeem people that will be rebel against God. We see, and as I, I think it's, oh, I cannot remember, the Spirit's job is to open up the eyes, convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and make people able to repent. Because without that, they will not be able to see who God is. They will not have eyes to see, and they will not mourn, and they will not weep. So in sometimes, or most, uh, all the time, I've been saying, like, when we study the, stu- study the Bible, we study the Bible to see who God is and how God acts and how we can be amazed by who God is. Here, I think we get a, we get a view into how God works, how the Spirit works, God's Spirit work, how God works and how God interacts with his people. That is, it's by grace that he allows people and will allow his people to see who Jesus is and how his plan of redeeming people actually works. Now, people would say, well, that's because you are born way later and you understand who Jesus is. Yes, that is why I would read it this way. But it's not just me. There's all the people who does the same. I'll come back to John who explains it for us. Now, other people would say <coughs> that to try to understand how would, how would people receive what, uh, how, will, how would the people in that time receive what Zechariah is saying? Would they understand that this is about the suffering servant? Is there, is there, is there, uh, would they be able to understand what this passage means? Well, maybe not all. Or maybe they would look to the other prophets and see like, oh, but we had the humble person on the donkey he talked about earlier. We had the ones that uh, Isaiah talks about, the suffering servant. We have those songs. We have the ones that uh, the person that's pierced in the Psalms, would they be able to understand that this is a prediction of the Messiah that would come? Well, that's a very good question. Well, that appears that would de- 
I guess, depend on whether their ears could hear and whether the mercy of God would have been bestowed on them for repentance in that time to understand his word. Other people would say, well, uh, they would at least know that the way that, which has been presented in the, in the book, that they should not go the way of the ancestors because their ancestors and also them who have rejected God has in, in a way, all, like in the rejection of God and in the idol worship, unfaithfulness, that would also be like uh, rebelling and hurting God. And realizing that also should be able for them to... to um, them realizing that by the mercy of God would also lead them to mourn a lot. Then Zechariah comes with an example of where, how much they mourn. Um, the example comes from, I will go to the place where it talks. Uh, here, uh, Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. So if we go back um, and look at those places, or they don't actually know where it is exactly, but, um, but, when we look at this, it's it's kind of a, a, a reference to something very sad. It's kind of a sad story of a, actually a really good king, a child king, Josiah, who grows up and does many reforms, and he tries to lead the people back to God, and and God's uh, uh, glad that he does, but he also says it's not going to work. They're all doomed anyway. Your son is going to be an idiot, and oh no, he didn't. That's my translation. Your your son going to your son is going to do something dumb, and you will actually be the last good king, and the people are going to go into exile. In a twist of weirdness, his death, Josiah, is is not his finest hour, because he does not do what God tells him to do. Uh, he goes out against the king of Egypt and he should have just stayed home. He dies and that with him dies the hope of restoration of, of Judah at that time. So it's a massive time of mourning as people are now losing hope, uh, hope that God will restore the kingdom and instead comes total destruction after one more king uh, so so he's not uh, he um, uh, so he's not uh, what's he called he's not uh, he, he's shown a very extreme picture of mourning in this in this uh, in this part, uh, and uh, and then they talk about who's going to mourn. Uh, David is going to mourn, and the women by themselves, the men by themselves. Uh, David, Nathan, 
So we have other people. Yes, then the Shemanites in the next one. Uh, I have it as uh, overlook. <laughs> yes, it's over there. So, this is uh, David's line. It's all his wives in the middle and his other wife over there, who's the wife of another man. That's the whole lot. Right? And he has one son, call, uh, one call, son called Nathan. Nathan shows up in Luke's genealogy of Jesus. Uh, so they could be him, that guy. Other people say it's Nathan the prophet. Depends. It fits with this one, up and down. So the Shemites are Shemites. They are Levites. They're not Korathites. They are from the Gershon. So they're over there. Arthur is telling us everyone's going to mourn. Uh, they're going to mourn uh, big and small, young and old, men and female, in all their clans, they will mourn. And they'll mourn as something extremely horrible has happened. But that is not the end. That is not the end. Because then we have the amazing verse 13.1 where God says, On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. So we start out with God pouring out his spirit on his people that they will be able to see the Messiah that would come. They would see his redemption plan, but they had all rejected him and done horrible things against him. So therefore they mourn and mourn and mourn. But God would then uh, open a fountain for the house of David that they could be cleansed from sin and uncleanliness. What great hope, what great joy. As Zechariah is giving this message, he's saying, God, okay, we're, we have all these enemies. We have a hard time finishing the temple. Uh, nobody wants to live in Jerusalem. But God says, no, I'll protect Jerusalem. I will make this uh, a place you can uh, come and live. I will, uh, I will protect you from all the enemies. I will also actually pour out my spirit on you so you will see redemption. You will mourn, but then I will provide for you a fountain where you can be cleansed from your sin and your uncleanliness. You can be cleansed from your idol worship and you can be cleansed from your uncleanliness of um, ritual impurities. What a great, great message of hope that God will not just free his people militarily, but he will restore them spiritually and they will also be cleansed from sin. What a great day, what great hope, what a great invitation to come to God 
instead of staying back in Babylon in exile. This is great news. This is great hope. What encouragement that would have been, must have been for the people. Or slightly confusing. Maybe a person would say, like, I, I didn't hurt God. I, don't, I didn't pierce God. I didn't. I mean, I don't. I didn't always do the right things, but I, I didn't. My rebellions against God of idol worship and unfaithfulness is not. I mean, I've run God through with anything. And so, therefore, they wouldn't look to God or look to the fountain of cleansing. But the person that would hope in God would say, okay, God, I'm just so thankful that you are going to come and visit us. You will pour out your spirit on us. We will be able to see your redemption plan. We will be able to be cleansed in this fountain that will come. Now, if we look at that today, uh, people would have the same response today. This is what we were praying for my brother earlier. None of us comes to understanding of Jesus or who God is if the Holy Spirit doesn't open our eyes. If that, if that nothing is going to change our mind and we won't repent and turn to God, we need God to pour out His Spirit on us so that we'd be we able, able to do that. And we're not going to mourn our sins. People... People, if we look at people in the world, they're not mourning their sin. Sometimes people mourn consequences of sin, yes, but they don't. We don't mourn like a funeral, and our that our greatest hopes have been dashed. If the Holy Spirit has not shown us who Jesus is, we 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 just don't. There's no changes of the mind if God's spirit has not opened up our eyes to see who Jesus is. And therefore we, we would not look to God to provide a fountain and, and cleansing. But for each of us who has experienced that God actually poured out his spirit on us and, and opened our eyes, we didn't mourn. He did change our mind. We did mourn, we did, and maybe some of us still do mourn things we did against God and still do. But when we turn to God and trust in Jesus' work, because He opened up our eyes to see who He is, He turned our mind around that we might be able to see. But I was reminded, like a stand-up, I know it's, I'm not going to go that way, but um, it doesn't matter how much you yell at a blind person, they are not going to start to see. So as we can be frustrated with people who don't know Jesus, uh, what they do or what they don't do or how they act, they're not going to change if God doesn't move and open their eyes through his Holy Spirit. So that's the prayer.
that we need to pray. For some of us, as I, as I said, uh, both this verse and the first verse is really, wow, this is amazing verses. Um, so some of you might be stood up because you read the, this one and you're like, I can see, I can see where this is going. I can see this is a picture of what, how God is going to show us who he is and what he does through his son, Jesus. And uh, the gospel uh, the gospel writer John, he is not in doubt. Uh, he, he writes about Jesus' death and he concludes, um, he concludes that this is a pro- fulfillment of this passage. He reads, he, he, he doesn't read, he, he writes. But when, um, because it's a Sabbath day, they don't want people to hang on the cross. Normally, crucifixion was supposed to inflict as much pain for as long time as possible so people could hang on the crosses for days before they died. They have allowed them not for that to do, so they are going to break their legs. But they come to Jesus, and they don't break his legs, but instead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness that he's talking about himself, John, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, there's another prophecy, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, none of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So this is, this is John saying, this is a fulfillment of what Zechariah said 550 years before, when Jesus gets pierced, this is God getting pierced. This is also directly, as John does many times, he talks about Jesus being divine, that Jesus is God, the Son of God, second member of the Trinity. He says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And so, so John is not in doubt he believes that this is Jesus that fulfills what, what, what um, his name is not Paul, his name is Zechariah, has written to be the hope of the people. And Jesus is that fountain that can cleanse and take away sin. John, he makes one more reference, and he does that in his last book, in Revelation. And he talks about, there it's right at the cross, he's talking about, they, they will see this man, Jesus, whom they have pierced. Like, so all the Jews, the first people, first believers, will look on Jesus whom they pierced. All the, all the disciples and other people, they see also his pierced hands as he raises and Jesus is a fountain that makes them believe. Then, then, then uh, John, he, he writes another time. He writes in first, in, in Revelation 1, not first Revelation, but in Revelation 1 through 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will bail on account of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
So as John write, is writing down in Revelation, he is told that they will see Jesus come back and everyone will see his pierced hands and all people will see it. Then Jesus responds to him, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. So John's saying, like, this was fulfilled in Jesus' piercing on the cross. This is where the fountain of salvation opens for everyone who wants to believe. But when Jesus comes back, everyone will see. And everyone can see who Jesus is, and everyone will see that he's been pierced. At the same time, everyone will also be on their knees testifying to Jesus who he is, because none of us will be able to stand as he comes in, in his glory. So Zechariah is saying that God will be pierced and people would see and they will mourn and weep. But God used this evil of man that was killing Jesus to cleanse of sin and unrighteousness. But as we said, Jesus, as we said last time, Jesus did not just die like normal. He gave up his life because Jesus is this fountain that will bring cleansing from sin and unrighteousness. The experience opens people's eyes. That is the only way we can be able to see Jesus correctly. And we can mourn our sin, have our minds changed, and we can turn to God. I just had a few questions like, like, why, um, why do I mourn? Why do we sometimes mourn? Mostly, sometimes we mourn maybe other people's sin because <laughs> it's annoying it happens to us or these sinful people on TV or other things. But, but I think the question here is like when the Holy Spirit convictions, isn't it all the more important than do we mourn our own sin and put it to death by the Holy Spirit? And I think another question is really good to ask is, but like, I don't like the whole thing. You, I don't like this violence of having to be pierced and run through. Uh, but what does it mean for you or for me that Jesus was run through, that he was pierced? What does it mean practically for us that we know that God provides this fountain of cleansing? In Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us when John he says that this is a fulfillment? The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the very intimate God, came up with this plan in his eternal counsel to save. God, unlike any other God in the world, chooses to pay the price himself for the redemption of the people. 
He pays the price so that sin and unrighteousness can be cleansed. And he is willing to send his people. He is willing to have people repent and believe by his spirit. God provides the offering, the cleansing fountain, the great salvation. And the question is, how awesome is God? God the Father, amazing, creator of all things. Jesus, who said, I will lay my life down, not just for my friends, but actually for the rebels, for the people who are idol worshipers, who steal my glory. And whatever situation you're in, or we're in, or the people that we want to see come to know. Jesus offers, suffers, endures pain, the guilt of other people, shame. He does that to cleanse and restore to God. What is my response? Is it thankfulness and joy to sing praises by the Holy Spirit? Like we are loved by God in that way that he shows us who he is to show other people that's life. I would say come to the fountain. Come to Jesus as we see John writes. Jesus will come back and he will be pierced at that time too. And you can see like Thomas was, will see his pierced hands, his pierced feet. We'll all fall on our knees because none of us will stand. I want to call us all to be a a people who will worship and praise Jesus that we don't have to shrink back in fear but because the Holy Spirit has opened up our eyes we will with joy praise our pierced Lord that we come and we put our hope and faith and trust in the fountain of 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 cleansing that God has provided through his son Jesus, the one who was pierced for our transgressions. So I think I think it gives great hope for the people at that time that this the Savior will come, provide salvation, will have the Spirit work. And I think as John shows us, we can see how it works out. And Jesus for whoever would want to come and believe that there is cleansing of sin and uncleanliness in Jesus Christ for whoever will believe by the Spirit of God. I think we also see an amazing God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how they work together as an amazing God in mercy and grace. They pour out with long-suffering and calls people to themselves. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of Christmas. When we're talking about Advent, this is like some of us don't like to wait a minute for something to load on the website. Then we're already gone to the next thing. 
these people had to wait for at least 550 years before Jesus showed up. When we're talking about Advent now, they were talking about the first Advent. The rest of us are talking about the, the Advent now that we celebrate is the one from Jesus' birth, but there's a second Advent. That's the Advent we live in now. We're looking for Jesus to come back as uh, as John said. That's the Advent we're looking for now. We don't know how many Sundays there's going to be, but Jesus is coming back. And so that's the Advent we are anticipating now. In this time that we are here, we're here to share this story that God has made a way because in his counsel, he's shown a way to everyone who wants to believe. And then we pray that God will pour out his spirit on people so that they will believe. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you that you are really... Awesome, awesome sounds to try, but you are an amazing God, an awesome God, and the you and your godness and holiness and the three in oneness of of you, God, you made this ama- amazing plan to create all the overflow of who we are. Knowing we were, knowing humans were going to rebel against you, you already had a plan. to have a fountain to send your spirit and to redeem all who would come and so Lord I ask it that's what you will do and continue to do we pray for all the people who all the people who don't know you we pray you will pour out your spirit on them that they will be able to see and they will help them know who you are Jesus I pray for courage and boldness Lord because you you know all things. You have all strength. You have all power. You say that that the power that rose Christ from the dead, you have in us by your spirit, Lord. I pray you make us bold, courageous. Lights for you, Lord. Like like we see the early disciples not doing perfectly, but they live it out as best as they can to share with all the people who want to come to know. So we ask that you do that by grace and your mercy. And I ask that for any of us here who just don't really understand this, Lord, I pray that you open up your eyes, uh, our eyes by your spirit to see the joy of who you are, Jesus. To see the piercing through can create a fountain of redemption and salvation. Come and work in and through us, through your spirit, we ask. May all beauty deeds your glory, your honor, and for the good of anyone you call. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Again, if you have questions, I did go very fast over the beginning and stuff. So if you have any questions, you're welcome to come. Also, just ask, like, how does this milk all make sense? And and, uh, we can talk about that. So um, let's uh, stand up and have the benediction from uh, from Paul from Romans. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may (laughs) abound in hope. (laughs) Amen.